Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchev. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Every single week we talk about our ongoing thesis, and that is digital hospitality. Every business needs to be digital first, and every business needs to be in the hospitality business. We are so fascinated about technology and the blending of hospitality in real life, and how does that translate to online. We are also fascinated with how do you become from a brick and mortar business into a media business. So much of what we talk about is people playing the game within the game. People that are doing things that are moving their businesses forward, that are building incredible brands, whether it's in digital marketing, digital media, e-commerce, mobile first websites. Uh, for us, we're just so fascinated and we're lucky that we have so many people all around the world that tune into this podcast to learn more. So our job is to have to give you a seat at the table. You listening to this podcast, you get a seat at the table. Today, we have an incredible company called Ride One Up. It's a San Diego-based electric bike company. And I'm joined by Daniel Urbino, who is the COO and CFO. Daniel, what up? Uh, not too much. Thank you for having me. This is this is definitely an exciting podcast. You know, when I first learned about Cali Barbecue and I heard about what you're doing, digital first in the restaurant industry, I just thought to myself, well, this is new because that's not the primary focus for a lot of restaurants. And when I started learning more and, and listening to more of your podcasts, it really resonated with the Ride One Up story. So I'm excited to tell your viewers about it. Well, one of the things I love to do for the viewers and the and the people that are listening to the podcast is let people know how did we get in contact? Because so much of what we talk about is sharing your story using your smartphone. There's never been a time where technology has literally broke down the barrier. I don't need a radio station. I don't need Mighty 1090 and Scott Kaplan to put me on radio to learn about our barbecue business. Literally, I can start a podcast. And I don't start the podcast to get people to buy barbecue, but I do it to build deep connections. So give a little bit of the backstory of how did you and I first connect? Sure. You know, as a digital company, e-commerce company, we're always looking for ways to find new audiences, ways to educate consumers about electric bikes and the benefits of them. And I was going through some new uh, new marketing avenues and podcasts, and I came across Cali Barbecue. And that story really resonated with me. And it really tracks back to the Mighty 1090. You know, I used to listen to the guys down in San Diego. I I was born and raised in San Diego and graduated high school there. I listened to the guys on uh, 1090 apps yep. and listened to him, Scott and BR. And once they lost the radio station, I'm like, okay, well, where do I find these guys? Yep. And that's where it tied into your podcast. And that's really what resonated is that you don't need you know your traditional forms of advertising, your traditional forms of media. It's really encompassing and everything we do today, whether it's uh, social media, whether it's the research you do online, you know, it's all in front of you and really readily available. Yeah, it's incredible for me. And, you know, the thing that I love about the people that listen to this podcast is that they understand and we understand and we connect with people, like-minded people, rising tide lifts all ships. We find other ships in this digital ocean where we're finding and we're resonating with story. So whatever you're selling, whatever you care about, whatever you're, whatever pulls you out of bed in the morning, those things you can start to research online and you can start to connect the dots with like-minded people where I can find someone like Scott Kaplan through traditional means. Yet when I go up there as a barbecue restaurant owner to the Mighty 1090 in 2017, literally we set up our podcast in the middle of the Mighty 1090 studios. 
So we weren't in the studio where they produced the radio show. We were literally on the sales floor doing a podcast, asking Scott Kaplan, hey, why aren't your sales team? Why isn't your marketing team doing a podcast? Why aren't they selling, you know, you doing integrated sponsorships with your Twitter account? Why aren't we doing Instagram live posts to talk about barbecue? Like, why aren't these available as a sales channel? Why are you only selling 15 seconds on the radio? And that's the traditional way of, that we used to in business, we would go to the radio station, we would go to the newspaper, we go to the yellow pages, we go to the chamber of commerce to try to build business. But now all those barriers are down. Now as an e-commerce company, first of all, let's define e-commerce. What is e-commerce for the, for the listener, for the viewer? What does that mean? Sure, your e-commerce is anything online. It's just another avenue to, to reach consumers. E-commerce can be selling a product, selling a service, and there's really two different groups. You could sell products online through retailers, which are your, your big box, Target, Walmart, Costco.com. And there's what we do at Ride One Up, which is direct to consumer, where we're cutting out the whole retailer and we're selling direct to you as a consumer where you can purchase directly from Ride One Up as a brand. So explain to us, a so you're, you do electric bikes, bikes. Ex, explain to us how somebody that used to sell old, but let's call it, let's say a beach cruiser company. What was the sure. old model of how would you sell that beach cruiser? Yeah, totally. Let's, let's go through that. So the traditional bike manufacturing model, you create a concept, you, know, you, you create the type of bike, the branding that's associated with it, your target market. Once you've developed the product, then you got to figure out, well, what's my distribution network? Typically, that's local bike shops and big retailers. So you go out, you find local bike shops, you, you pitch your bike, and you're basically, your business development is trying to get the bike shops to stock your products to sell to their customers. Yes. So by doing so, that's great. However, in order for you to get your bikes into these shops, you have to provide a wholesale discount that is large enough where the bike shop could actually make money on the sale. And yeah. that's after taking into account overhead, such as rent, employee salaries, sales and marketing, mechanics. And then when all that's paid, they need to make money as well. So when you're looking at your product, when you're when you're creating a traditional bike and you're selling it in, in, in these distribution centers through, through uh, bike shops, when you're creating a quality product, before you know it, with all of the overhead that you have to pay your distributors, a quality bike is really expensive. <laughs> you know, you're talking about a couple thousand for a quality bike. And as a result, you know, the difficult thing is that a small portion of our population is able to afford and participate. You know, you have such a high quality bike that costs thousands of dollars, you're already pricing out a lot of consumers in the market. So with the direct-to-consumer, if you don't mind if I kind of switch over to that Please, model. Please, no, absolutely. It's great. Our business uh, is has always been founded on the concept of direct-to-consumer being an e-commerce brand. And what's that allowed us to do is we, we run a very lean organization. You know, we're not staffing multiple shops. And as a result, we're able to reach more consumers outside of a specific geography. 
we're able to market to individuals across the US internationally. Um, and as a result, instead of passing along this, this dealer wholesale, we're providing our customers with a better product, better components, and really a higher quality at a fraction of the price that you would see in shop. So, you know, I think those are the primary benefits of, of the direct-to-consumer approach. And it really ties into our identity as a brand. Well, I, I love it. And I'm going to put, we'll put a link in the show notes. Stover does an incredible job. If, in, if we talk about anything, he'll reference what we talk about. But uh, when, when this podcast was behind the smoke, um, back when we first started, we had Brian uh, Smith, who is the founder of UGG and UGG Boots, you know, they started in this traditional sheepskin boot where, you know, it was Australian sheepskin, but he had to go literally in a van selling to all these local surf shops, you know, so he had to go and get his boots into all of these different places. This is, you know, back 30 years ago, this is before this direct to consumer where you could literally build a brand and then start shipping these boots directly to, you know, the people that you want to sell them to. Now, UGG is obviously, you know, multi-billion dollar brand um, since, since he sold. But, you know, to have him on the show to talk about all that hustle that he had to do back in the day, and then to think about the company that you guys can now build because of the internet, like because of the internet, because of these, we, we can operate so much leaner, which ultimately allows you to give back to the customer. You can literally sell more bikes and it's not even about selling bikes as it is about building a lifestyle. Can you guys talk about the lifestyle and the sustainability component of your brand? Absolutely. And I'll just start off with why the brand was founded. Our founder, Kevin Duggar, took two passions of his. One, product innovation and design. He was a bike mechanic at UC Davis and he really learned like the ins and outs of bike mechanics how to create sleek designs, how to refurbish bikes as a source of income. And then number two, the focus on sustainability. He comes from a Dutch background where in Europe, bikes are used as a mode of transportation first versus recreation. And you know, what's that allowed us to do as a business is that you know, we're focusing on creating an e-bike that provides a great alternative to automobile transportation. You know, and some for some individuals in certain geographies, this can really replace short mile trips for them and get them to point A from point A to point B as efficiently as possible. It makes running errands, it makes commuting commuting easier. I was actually looking at the stat the other day that over 60% of car trips are less than five miles. And you think about all the waste that's yeah. consumed with that, that our bike is really solving that, 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 that issue. You know, we have zero emissions versus automobile transportation. And really that, that ties into what we're doing. This is how we differentiate ourselves from every single e-bike out there is that we're transportation, bicycle first, e-bike second. So we're, so, you know, we're not recreating the wheel here. It's super, it's super interesting for me um, to see what has happened, uh, you know, just with transportation here in San Diego, obviously we've seen what a lot of other cities have seen, which was the bird scooter coming in and then literally disappearing overnight, <laughs> literally getting funneled where it was every, you saw it everywhere and then it was gone. But then you realize that here in San Diego, like you said, if most trips are less than five miles, I mean, I think just here in Eastlake where I live, you know, we're, we're one, two miles away from all the shopping centers. 
you know, if I had an electric bike, it would be a different form of communication. It would be, I mean, a different form of transportation that actually I might consider using. What, how big is this e-bike market? Oh, it's massive. Yeah, I think for us in, you know, globally speaking, you know, we're talking about 40 mil billion plus in the next few years. In North America today, uh, some of the statistics I've seen are it's about, uh, you know, 0.7 billion. Um, you know, gross market for this industry today. And that's only going to grow at anywhere. I've seen estimates at five to 10% year over year. So it's wow. continuing to grow and it's getting in consumers' hands. And, you know, I think really what Ride One Up does that not a whole lot, I mean, other companies are doing it as well, but where we do it really well is that, you know, I like to say that our bike, this is how I explain to my friends and family, you know, why, how, what is your bike company? How does it differentiate themselves from the others? And really what we focus on here is providing the highest quality bike that performs at a high level at unbeatable prices. You know, I look at Ride One Up as the e-bike for the masses, where we take price as a barrier of entry and we remove that for you. We allow consumers to enter the market at a price point that's affordable. And you know, we, we, we know what we do well and we don't try to compete with the specialized and the trucks of the world where you know your entry price point is four to five thousand dollars and their high end is about fifteen thousand dollars. And it wow. kind of ties back to that traditional bike uh, model, uh, the, the local bike shop model compared to what we're doing. At that price point, you're already taking out a significant majority of the population. Whereas we really focus on sleek, efficient designs that really get the job done and get you from point A to point B as efficiently as possible, as comfortably as possible. And at the same time, our bikes look great. You know, they're, they're sleek. You don't see these huge battery add-ons and things like that. You know, we really focus on a, an integrated battery approach, which really kind of resonates with the idea of like bike first. So I have, I have a random question that uh, I'm fascinated with is, is what, what has Ride One Up learned from Peloton? Uh, that's, that's great. You know, that one thing that I really, when I look at the two companies, is that there's a lot of similarities where you don't just have to be a hardware company. You yeah. know, there's, there isn't just the bike component. You know, as social media has really grown in popularity and it's really become a part of our everyday life, there's a really cool community aspect associated with our brand. You know, we have lots of customers that share experiences online through forums, Facebook groups, all of these different areas where, you know, they're happy and proud of their purchase. They want to share with other consumers and other Ride One Up owners, like cool trails, cool rides, the amount of miles. I think one of my favorite pictures to see online are when people take a close-up of their odometer once they've hit a thousand miles, once they've hit 2000 miles. I think I saw one the other day where someone cracked 8,000 miles on their Amazing. And we've only been around since 2018, which is incredible. This individual has to commute, you know, a few miles every day and using their bike heavily. So sharing that is a really cool sense of community. And that's really what we're trying to build here. So can you tell give us an idea of the scope of how many bikes you're selling or, or what sales are, or how many employees you have? Give us an idea of 
of the the mighty the mighty giant that is Ride One Up. Yeah, I know. Well, we're, we're definitely a growing company. You know, we're in, we're by no means the leader of the the industry, but we're growing and we're scaling quickly. You know, last year we sold thousands of bikes, mm-hmm. and through this year we're looking to grow at a rate of over 100% year over year That's with incredible. plans to continue scaling at these rates. And you know what's great about this is the whole e-commerce direct-to-consumer model. There is no way we could have done this with a traditional brick and mortar approach. You know, looking at what we did in 2020, you know, if you were to look at what an average bike shop you know, how many bikes they sell on a, on a daily basis. What kind of volume does an average bike, bike shop do? It depends. You know, mo- all bikes, all bike shops sure. vary, but small bike shops are probably more common in the traditional industry. And you're talking about anywhere from 50 to hundred bikes per month. Okay. Is being sold. What kind of, what kind so, of annual revenue would a bike shop do? I would say a few hundred thousand, few probably hundred a thousand. little, a little less than uh, yep. you know, half a million or so. And when you look at what we did in 2020, we're talking about, you know, call it five to 10 plus bike shops you would have to have in order to do the scale that we're doing. We're a lean team and we just hit 10 employees not that long ago. It's amazing. So when you look at what we're able to do with a small team, we're able to leverage um, social media, content providers, and we could get into the marketing next. Yes. But when you look at what's involved with opening a bike shop, you have to find space, you have to find staffing, you have to build it out, all the tenant improvements. It's a a daunting task to open one shop, let alone 10 of these over a year. And what we're able to do being online first, digital first is really incredible when you look at scale. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's so fascinating to have you on. We have so many people that are in the restaurant business and small business, which is why we're so fascinated with saying that we are an e-commerce company. The more that restaurant owners can start to think like an e-commerce company, how do I get my product? How do I get my barbecue to more people in San Diego? Not making them come to Spring Valley, our flagship location. How do we get it to them on their terms? Barbecue takes time and it takes expertise. But if we can figure out and solve how do we get barbecue to somebody that's in North County, if they order on their phone in 20 minutes, then now we're on the way to making ourselves leaner, more profitable, and a better company because we'll actually be able to provide better barbecue. Yeah, totally. Can you talk to us about your your marketing strategy? Because you and I had a conversation offline about it, and I'm uh, super impressed with what you guys have been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we can even reference back the the Uggs example is when you create a product, you know, your boots on the ground, you're knocking on shops, you're asking for them to stock what you have. Whereas being a digital company, e-commerce first, you know, we looked at what's the best way to reach the audiences. And you know, before I get into the marketing side, it makes marketing easier when the product is quality. Because yes. a lot of the times the product speaks to yourself, as I'm sure you know with your barbecue, yes. is that when the, when the reviews are there and the product's good, people are going to tell their friends. You're going to have referrals, and before you know it, you know your Yelp page is blowing up, and you know the the the, the food reviewers are tagging you, and it's just it goes viral. And yeah. that's really when we developed our marketing strategy 
that's where we put our, our focus. That's where we get the most return on, on investment, the ROI and marketing dollars. As, as we were growing for a business, as a business, we targeted content providers. And these are influencers and influencers and content providers. They could be anything from uh, a re industry reviewer, uh, you know, a bike specialist. It could be someone with a YouTube channel where they're reviewing products. It could be a social media influencer. It just, it, there's so many different forms. So, you know, taking that scale of having audiences with a quality product, it's a recipe for success where we just got our products out with the right audiences and we let our bikes speak for themselves. These individuals did unbiased. They, did, they actually rode our bikes. They checked out the components. They published their own content. And you know, before you knew it, it turned into one YouTube uh, review and to tens of YouTube reviews. And you know, we have probably you know, over you know, a few hundred different influencer channels where people are marketing our products. And, it's not, and these don't have to be individuals with million dollar followings yeah. we give all of our consumers the ability to to market our products you know if sean if you were to buy a bike from us today you have the opportunity to sign up for a referral account tend to tell your friends and family and and really kind of create a little bit of passive income for yourself just based on referrals and we feel that that word of mouth the referrals the quality reviews has really helped us grow as a brand yeah, I mean, I see that happening, you know, across all all digital channels, you know, the more that it is a referral based business and the better the product. I mean, I I tell this story often and that's the the Peloton stories. I, I never spoke to anyone from Peloton. No one from Peloton ever called me. I never saw. Now I've seen commercials since the time that I purchased my Peloton. But before I'd never seen a commercial on any, you know, charger game that I was watching or anything that I was watching on TV. I saw Pelotons in Instagram stories of my friends working out on their Peloton and then asking them, hey, do you like it? Is it worth it? Does your wife like it? You know, has, is it working out for you? Literally now I post about Peloton in my story. Like now I've literally sold Pelotons by posting in my stories about Pelotons. They haven't paid me anything. I don't have any referral money from Peloton. I'd love to have that. But, but nonetheless, that's the social side. It's the social proof. Social selling is what we're talking about, where you're tapping into networks, you're tapping into everybody is an influencer. Everyone has influence. You don't have to have a million followers on YouTube. You have people in your circle, but the more that you share your story online, the more that you can impact other people in other ways. And I think it's super fascinating how you guys have tapped into that, the, those markets by literally giving somebody the ability to write a review, an unbiased review. And say we stand by our product you tell us what you think and then not telling them exactly what they need to say i mean that taking it back to the radio example before if you wanted to get on radio what do you do you have to go and talk to a sales team i go tell the sales team hey i've got great barbecue they don't give a shit if it's good barbecue or not all they mm -hmm. care about is do you have fifteen thousand dollars to pay us per month which we don't have but that's what they're going to ask for this is a completely different model with the internet, with influencers, literally radio people, newspaper people, television people, those were the original influencers. Now, mm -hmm. if you're a content creator, you're an influencer, you have influence. Now you can, somebody can go directly. How did you identify the people that uh, you wanted to connect with? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't around the very beginning, but the idea 
is that we focused where who has the audiences and we when we reviewed we looked at electric clean technica cycling weekly you know forbes.com and you know they weren't easy tasks by any means it you know it required a lot of follow up but once we got our products in front of these individuals their audiences were very interested because we were providing a product where we were focusing on quality and price first you know we weren't that high end tracker specialized we were the the e-bike for the masses and once we started learning about different audiences and you know we kind of look at the consumer behavior around certain influencers and content providers they have a certain form and a certain um you know a certain uh, medium and then it's just continuing to find other similar like-minded content providers and you know it's only been growing year after year that's super exciting what what are you guys' plans for this upcoming year uh, yeah, we got a, a lot of really cool things in the hopper, actually. You know, how many bikes? First, how many bikes do you guys sell? How many different models? So today we have six models that we currently sell, and within each model we have variations on uh, crossover crossbars and and step throughs and different colors. But we have six primary SKUs, and we're looking to launch um, another two in the next, let's call it, you know, one to two quarters. That's exciting. And where, where's the manufacturing getting done? So we do all of our design in California. So our, our California domestic UA-based team, we do all the engineering design, the component selection, and everything is manufactured overseas, along with you know, 99% of the other bike companies out there. And how long, how long does it take to get from ideation to product? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I think if you were to ask me that question a year ago, it it's completely changed. Yeah, I think just looking at what we're dealing with on a you know a global supply chain perspective, what used to be uh, from product ordering. This is after the design and concepts been done. From ordering a product to delivery in a three PL, a third party logistics um, warehouse in the United States. You're talking about a three to four month period. Today, with all of the component uh, shortfalls and the lack of supply, we're looking at placing orders nine to 12 months ahead wow. of delivery, which wow. makes it extremely difficult. However, it, it really kind of, it, it, it over accentuates the need for a quality brand, a brand that not only produces a great product, but a brand that stands behind the consumer, whether it's customer support, whether it's post-transaction support, because anyone could go online, find a cheap e-bike and order it and have it shipped to their door. Anyone can do that. But if you're expecting someone to help you out after with assembly or, you know, should something go wrong, you're, you're, you're going to be out of luck. You're not going to have that team. And, you know, our entire U.S.-based support team is really here to help the consumer learn about the product, find what's right for them, right for them, and then everything after the post-transaction. So basically everything after they check out. Yeah, one of the things I'm fascinated with is, is obviously content, which is why we put out so much content, um, but talking to other companies to see what are they doing. And, you know, what I did notice in one of the re reviews that you have on Forbes, he mentions in his review how helpful it was 
that you guys had a YouTube page to explain a component, an LCD component of the bike and how he was able to adjust the settings. And I went to your YouTube channel and you've got all these incredible instructional videos, which it seems like table stakes in 2021 that every brand would have content available for the products that they're selling. But there are huge brands. I'm talking about IPO brands, Fortune 500 brands that literally you go on YouTube and you find other influencers that are making the videos. They don't have their own brand channel taking care of literally frequently asked questions, frequently searched questions about their own products and services. They think that the stupid manual book that they include that nobody ever reads is how people are searching. People don't use that. What do they do? They go to the internet. They go to Google and they ask, how do I do this? How do I fix this? Why is it so important for you guys to create that content, to build that channel? Absolutely. That is a very key point And one of the, the main reasons why we're able to operate as a business, because by creating the content, creating the and what we call our online support library. You know, if you go to our support page, you can type in any question. And if we don't have an article, we'll hear that we don't have an article and we'll create an article around answering that question. That's only the print online print side. That's not even talking about the, the assembly videos and everything yep. else. And by doing so, we're able to support thousands of customers that have questions with a, lean, with a lean team. If we didn't have that support library, our call center would probably have to be 25 employees. You know, we'd have to have people on the phones answering day in, day out, explaining things that many people could read online and figure it out themselves. And that's not saying that we do everything online. You know, if you have questions and they're not explainable as part of our support library, you know, we take all inbound requests, whether it's email, uh, call center, we'll take the inquiries in and we'll address them as needed. And a lot of the times we solve a lot of these issues by pointing customers to the right article that applies to their, their specific scenario. Yeah. I love that. It's, uh, it's so funny because we, we did some, uh, some work with um, a local company called uh, American factory wheels. Uh, we had Josh on actually on the podcast. And one of the, one of the things that we were helping him with, with his mobile first website was, literally the frequently asked questions by turning frequently asked questions, not just from written text, but also into content where now he's literally set him apart from the entire industry. He's in the rim industry, entire industry. Literally no one else has this content, which is now available through search engine optimization through Google. So it's like, it becomes such a powerful tool, no matter what business you're in, once you start to get into the storytelling business. That's the crazy thing is so many businesses have been telling their stories in real life. They just haven't translated it to all these different platforms, which is where people are searching. What you guys are doing is super exciting. The fact that you're there helping boots on the ground to get, you know, the scalability of what you're trying to accomplish. It is inspiring. It's very inspiring. The more that I've learned about um, what you guys are doing. Do you have any mentors in your life? Uh, yes, I do. You know, I, I, I actually, surprisingly, I don't come from the bike industry. So the bike industry is, is definitely new to me. And, you know, what's great about this is my background is in e-commerce. So I've sold uh, various products online. I've worked for ad technology companies in the past. And, you know, I think what the, the best advice I've gotten from mentors is 
learn from our mistakes. You know, you don't have to repeat the issues that we've experienced. And that has really resonated with me throughout my career is, you know, just learning from others. And, you know, we don't have to recreate the wheel as a business. You know, things have worked for a reason and things haven't worked for a reason. So, you know, that's a really guiding principle that's been really helpful with the mentors in my career. Has there been any particular, you know, troubles, any difficult times that you can remember, any story, lesson or story that you uh, you can draw from or that you've drawn from? Uh, from a business perspective, I think really- or personal. Or personal. You know, yeah. I think that the, the tough thing is, is that nothing nothing's guaranteed in life. You know, I think- you have to see every project, every objective, every single thing you're launching, it's important to see it from start to finish. It doesn't matter what happens or how sure something looks, things always happen. So what's helped me as, a, as an individual, both in my personal life and professionally, is plan for the worst. You know, you can have a plan be executed perfectly, but that doesn't mean you can't have plan A, B, C, and D. Because things happen. I when I graduated college, I was right around you know 2018 or 2008, where you know the the whole financial crisis and the whole economy collapsed. So I've seen it myself, where I've experienced it firsthand, where I thought things were going great, um, right about to graduate college and start my new job and really kind of start my life, and you know there there weren't any jobs. So you know, I think. Nothing surprises me today in my personal life and in my business life as well. That's awesome. Uh, one of the things that we do do is every uh, Friday, uh, we have the guest on once your podcast does come out. Um, we have the guest on our Clubhouse app. Uh, we have a room called Digital Hospitality, and we get to dive deeper with our audience. Anybody that's listening to this, hopefully you guys are on the Clubhouse app. Uh, I know a lot of you have been joining our Friday sessions, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. But uh, Daniel, hopefully you can join us once your episode is released. Um, we'd love to have you on to talk more about electric bikes, um, e-commerce, and kind of the, the cool thing that you guys are building here in San Diego. Are you, are you guys shipping globally? Or how many, how many countries do you ship to? So today we primarily focus on North America, you know, Got just it. with the amount of consumers we have. However, that doesn't mean we're turning down international customers. Mm -hmm. We just link them up with a third party freight forwarder that, you know, takes the product from our warehouse and then they're the importer in those scenarios. We get a pretty high demand of international requests because bikes are a global industry. Oh yeah. E-bikes you know, it's it's crazy that forty eight billion e bike industry number I threw out. Yep. That's globally, wow. where the U S. makes up such a small part. You know, Europe, Asia. There's just so much. They're so far advanced. And granted, they do have the the infrastructure to make things easier for bicycle transportation. But there's such a global economy. It's really incredible. Absolutely love that. Um, so where where's the best place for people to get in touch with you, you guys? Yeah, so our website, you know, ride one up. It's R-I-D-E numerical one up.com. We're on so we're on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and really TikTok. We're on TikTok. We're 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 just starting TikTok. All right, new, there we go. That's, now a, we're that's talking. a new channel. That's a new channel for us, but you know, at this point, you know, what I always like to tell people, whether it's 
um, you know, partners or employees, whenever anyone comes up with an idea to me, the answer is it's never a yes or no. It's have we tested it? So, you know, can we do something? If we create a, a plan, we create some metrics around what, like how do we deem success? I'm open to test many things. And it's, it kind of shows what we're doing today, you know, doing the podcast, doing radio. You know, it's not really traditional to the e-bike industry, but it's worth exploring. And there's, you can find audiences through so many different ways. For sure. Well, Daniel, we are grateful for your time. Thank you very much. Uh, we look forward to having you on Clubhouse uh, once the episode is released. If you guys uh, listening need to get in touch with me, you know, I'm always available at Sean P. Walchef on Instagram, on TikTok, on LinkedIn. Um, be sure to follow us on all the platforms. Reach out anytime. Daniel, thank you for your time. I love the Magic Johnson jersey in the background. Super dope. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, stay curious, get involved. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye.